Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas on how to lead your church into the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Now, here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. Today, I'm welcoming Dr. Marcia McPhee to the show. Marcia is a professor, worship designer, author, preacher, and ritual artist. Drawing on a first career in professional dance and musical theater and equipped with a master's in theology and a PhD in liturgical studies and ethics, she understands the role of any worship artist in the church as that of creating extraordinary portals through which communities journey with the Spirit. Dr. McPhee has designed and led worship for regional, national, and international gatherings of several denominations for the last 30 years. She is the creator and visionary of the Worship Design Studio, an online experience of coaching, education, and inspiration that currently serves over 1,000 congregations. She is the author of the Worship Workshop, Spiritual Adventures in the Snow, and most recently, Think Like a Filmmaker, Sensory-Rich Worship for Unforgettable Messages. All right, welcome to the show, Dr. Marsha McPhee. Thank you so much for being here. Is there anything else you'd like our listeners to know about you? Hey, everyone. It's great to be here. Thank you, Lauren, for the opportunity. Um, Let's see, just that I'm insanely curious, uh, and especially about how people make meaning Mm. and how they uh, search for the ways to do that, to to create lives of deeper meaning. And I think that's so varied these days. And, um, you know, as we'll talk about, that's something that is is really important, I think, for the future of the church is that we stay curious, we yeah. stay imaginative, and we look at all the possibilities. Yeah. Great. Uh, share, if you would, kind of about your spiritual journey, what that looked like in the past, what it looks like today. Sure. Glad to. Um, I was raised United Methodist, cradle United Methodist. My parents were from the EUB, the old EUB church and Disciples of Christ, and it just Ah. made sense for them to become Methodist when they got together. And so, yeah, cradle United Methodist. Um, And, you know, I was really uh, nurtured in beautiful, inclusive churches, which I know is a real gift. and was uh, grew up in my younger years at at St Andrews there in Colorado in, okay. in near Denver, mm-hmm. um, and then moved to Missouri where we were. Uh, my parents wanted us to grow up on the farm, and and so we moved to a small little town and a small little United Methodist Church, where you know, even though it's a rural church, they allowed me as a young budding artist, pianist, dancer, mime, you know, like the whole nine yards, to bring that into church. And so, uh, you know, at a young age, I got the message that uh, creative expression in the church is really a beautiful thing and a, and a wonderful way to um, experience the message. Mm-hmm. And so I was so very uh, fortunate to have that little United Methodist Church on Main Street in Adrian, Missouri, <laughs> nurture me, and uh, then had a professional career in professional dance and musical theater in New York City. So wow. I was part of a very large United Methodist Church there mm-hmm. uh, on Park Avenue. And so, you know, my journey has been with various sized churches. And so I'm really, I love the different ways that uh, various sized churches and styles of expression, I just have a great love for the diversity of that and was very fortunate to grow up and then in my young adult years be formed, continuing to be formed in the church. Um, And so while I was doing um, my professional arts careers, I uh, was still interested in how my art forms could intersect with the church and did a lot of theater and dance um, in professional companies uh, of liturgical dance as well and theater. Um, But then since then have really tried to expand to all of the arts. And, you know, I I imagined when I was touring the world with these dance companies, uh, the secular ones, I imagined creating multimedia theater mm-hmm. um, with, you know, large 
choirs and orchestras and and everything, and uh, doing that around justice issues. And, you know, this was the 80s when, you know, nuclear arms race was very intense. Yeah. And so I was creating commentary through the arts on these justice issues. And a- after a while, I just felt called to get a theological degree to undergird all of that stuff. And so went to St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City, kind of went back home to go to mm-hmm. seminary mm-hmm. and combined that with worship arts and you know, began to be asked by churches to come and talk to them about what I knew about mm. worship and the arts that would help them with their make their worship better, which is not what I the ministry I thought I was going to go into. Sure. But I will tell you, after several years of doing that, and then finally, um, 2008, my first time to be worship director for General Conference of the United Methodist Church, I stood on that stage, and we had an orchestra, and we had a choir of 500, and we have had lights and multimedia, and I went, oh, okay, God, this is what you had in store. Wow. You know, that initial dream actually did come true in a very different way than I thought, but it it did come true, in fact. And uh, so it's just been a journey of all along my arts career, my creative expression, and worship in the church and expressing my faith journey, which has been very Mm -hmm. justice-focused, because I see the connection between creative expression and making the world a better place. My PhD is in in worship and ethics, and some people say, what? How does that go together? But I believe what we do in our worship, in our creative expression, makes a difference for Mm. who we are in the world Mm -hmm. and and how we are motivated to make the world a better place. So it's been that journey all along and continues to be. So can I ask you here already off the bat? Yeah. Talk more about that, that connection. Yeah. Well, you know, the the gospel itself, for me and my faith journey, the gospel itself is calling us to transform Mm -hmm. and transform relationships. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I always have had that lens um, to look at what we proclaim, how we proclaim it. Mm -hmm. And part of that is a, a sense of worship that is is really communicative to all people. Okay. Meaning that, you know, I've done a lot of study in neuroscience, in cognitive science. And so this idea of sensory rich worship, which really is my bailiwick, mm-hmm. um, has been what I have been teaching all along in all the worship arts. How do these worship arts come together to bring what I call good worship, which is meaningful <laughs> and memorable, yeah. right? It's meaningful in that the narrative of faith intersects with the narrative of life in real, on-the-ground, rubber-hits-the-road-ways, and it's done in a variety of expressions so that you know, different people who communicate and take in information in different ways can actually access that in very poignant ways that makes meaning for them and therefore makes memory for them because it is it is memorable. Um, and and when we do that, we're formed by it, right? It lives inside of us beyond the time and place of worship. Mm-hmm. I always say that ritual forms and shapes us. The question is, to what are we being formed? Yeah. Are we being formed as a bunch of, you know, passive listeners <laughs> expecting the professionals to do everything in ministry? Or is our worship forming us and training us to be active participants, active voices, uh, those who understand that that we are both inside the sanctuary and outside doing the work of the people uh, in our discipleship. So, you know, that's kind of the the connection for me is that formation piece. Um, yeah. So, that's great. That's yeah. great. Thanks for engaging that with me right away here. Um before we move on to your article here, let's, if you would, share some spiritual practices that are meaningful for you. Well, I have something called CCC. Okay. I love your, all your kind of acronyms here. I know. know. I'm, I love wordsmithing. So yeah. <laughs> I love acronyms. So CCC is coffee, of course, is first. <laughs> Candles and contemplation. I do it every morning. So I get my cup of coffee, I light the candles, and I journal, or I read something that's inspirational, and then I journal about it. Mm-hmm. And it's such a grounding practice for me. It, it puts me in touch with uh, with myself, where I am, how I'm feeling, 
Uh, it's a way, writing is a way that I express myself easily. And so uh, that's a spiritual practice I've developed for myself. I highly recommend it. The other thing is to see the ordinary things that cross our paths like tasks and do them with kind of an intention. I am what I call a metaphorager. Hmm. So I forage you for metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> so I forage for metaphors, which means that in all of the ordinary, we can see the extraordinary. And so when we look, we live our lives that way, you know, we can see depth and meaning in the ordinary tasks. So like, for instance, this morning after CCC, I'm at a retreat center doing my annual elevation retreat for worship leaders, pastors, musicians, mm -hmm. visual artists, et cetera, media artists. And we're here at Lake Tahoe. And last night we had a drum circle. And, and so I have all these percussion instruments. And at the end of the session, we just put them in a pile. And then the next morning is when I always put them, you know, I divvy them up in different kinds of instruments and put them in their bags. And this morning I was doing that and I thought, oh my gosh, I've been doing this now since 2007 annually, except for two years in COVID. Um, and every, this, this little ritual I have of putting these percussion instruments away in their bags is so meaningful because I'm I'm swamped with the, the, the memories of what we did the night before. Mm -hmm. And each one of these percussion instruments was held by one of our participants. Hmm. And it just puts me in connection with them. So that's kind of, you know, my spiritual practices can pop up yeah. as ordinary tasks. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Thanks for sharing that. Well, I feel like there's a bunch of questions already I want to ask you, but uh, Marsha contacted me, a, I don't know, a couple weeks, few weeks back yeah. and shared with me an article she had written, a metaphor, can't say this word, metamorphosis moment, ritual right. artistry and the work of the people. And I was really intrigued and thought um, it'd be great just kind of talk through it with her. So share if you would kind of, you know, what prompted you to write the article and what you're hoping to, to get across. Yeah. Well, metamorphosis moment is something I've been exploring uh, for a little over a year and a half as we began to transform out of this pandemic and began to really see, experience the differences that that experience going through pandemic has left us with. Um, and what are the, you know, what are the tools? Because I'm a teacher, I'm a uh, you know, I'm a resource for churches, for their worship teams, for their worship. And so it's my job really to be thinking about these things, about the what's next and what do we, what can I do? What can I study that will help folks? And so as I began to think about the changes, this idea of metamorphosis, which is that process, of course, that a caterpillar goes through to become a butterfly, mm -hmm. I began to play with that metaphor. And uh, and really study the science of it, because I'm a geek that way. Um, and there were so many things about what happens in that process that I thought we could draw from. Hmm. One of the most important and interesting things is that a caterpillar has inside of it already what's called imaginal disks. Hmm. And these imaginal disks are dormant, but they are they are blobs of cells that contain within them everything that it needs to become a butterfly. And I think that in this moment where we are struggling to know what's next, mm -hmm. we are in this space of goo, <laughs> right? Because yeah, feels like some it. things have broken down, some ways that we assumed were forever have broken down. Um, rhythms, people's rhythms, people's habits have shifted in mighty ways. And I think we're in the goo moment when yeah. the caterpillar has gotten inside, made that chrysalis, and is breaking down. And so I think these imaginal discs, that's when they start to feed on the goo. I think we have inside of us everything we need for the what's next. Hmm. And I think that's really good news. And so that's why I wanted to write the article. Um, I think that that we, whether we know it or not, have the tools, we have the imagination, we have the curiosity, we have the ability, if we will allow it, <laughs> to, um, to create the what's next. And the truth is that the what's next is going to look different for different communities. 
There's no one size that fits all. There's no one answer to that. And so this act of imagination, this act of, you know, figuring out what's next for our communities really takes a commitment to, uh, to, to trying things on for size, right? And, and also knowing what the building blocks are, those imaginal discs, knowing what the building blocks are for ritualizing. And I use ritual in not a pejorative sense, you know, like sure, dry right, right. ritual, but I use it as that life-giving thing mm-hmm. um, that is inherent in all of us. Um, but knowing what those building blocks of ritual are so that we can apply those to whatever forms the next thing takes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. So I want to flush out a couple things you you hinted at there and then I saw in your article. Mm-hmm. Um, one is, what is a metamorphosis moment? Well, it's a moment in, uh, of transition, okay. right? It's, the, it's a moment of transformation. Um, I... I have taken this idea and put it in many forms, not just an article, but a webinar, and then I created a worship series for churches that just released um, at, at, at Easter. Um, and it really is a chance for churches to use a worship theme. It's lectionary-based for Easter season, but you could use it any time of the year. Mm-hmm. It'd be great for any time in ordinary time. But it helps churches go through very slowly, like like we— Assume that you just get in the in the in the chrysalis and then right. pop out as a butterfly. Right. But there's so much going on in the meantime, and to really look at that the transition time, that transformation time, and to be comfortable in that, to accept that that's necessary. We can't just get to the solutions immediately. Yeah. So that's a metamorphosis moment, and I think that's what we're in. Uh, and so I'm hoping to encourage churches to really see it as um, a deeply spiritual place to be, because oftentimes the the deepening of our spirituality, the deepening of our journey happens in those what we call liminal moments. Yeah, yeah. Right in those in between moments. So maybe perhaps for for my sake, I, I would think of a moment as like a moment. If I'm hearing you right, a moment is a long does not have a time right specific time context. Yeah. Yeah, so let's think about the evolution of creation, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so uh, our sense of time is so in the immediate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm talking about a moment in time when I, we it, – it's a, it's a process. It's not just uh, yeah. a quick fix, yeah. right? But this is, a, this is a moment in time that's unlike any other. Okay. Um, so here's so, the real kicker. Yeah. Here's okay. the real kicker, Marcia. <laughs> How, okay. how did the pandemic, how did the <laughs> pandemic prepare yeah. us for this? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, you know, there's been a lot said about this. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think some of the common themes are that what was going on in the church at a slow pace got like right. turbo boosted. Right. And we began to see, oh, we have to change. Yeah. And in the moment, we had to find ways to stay connected. And it upped our technology game hugely, even if that was getting on a conference call with your folks over the phone to stay connected. I mean, there's a wide range of that. And and no one solution is the best. It's It's what worked for your community. Yeah. And so... You know, that it accelerated things, it highlighted things, and it forced us in some ways to say we've got to have a variety of ways to stay connected. So so that's one thing that that I think uh, is a pretty common, you know, theme among folks who are talking about this. Um, I think that, you know, I just talked yesterday, we, we were talking about media arts in my retreat, and you know, I showed some of the beautiful things that people created during pandemic, video kinds of things where they got their people on video to to read things. Right. To they, they put together images, uh, you know, of people at in their homes and they put them together and they, you know, and I said to people, just because we have come back to our sanctuaries for the most part, we may be doing this hybrid thing. We cannot let go of some of those beautiful things we created. We can still do those. 
and 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 to continue to iterate in that direction and to have we have now an even wider variety of ways to communicate of worship arts to communicate hmm. and because we have in a lot of cases hybrid worship where people are worshiping remotely mm-hmm. um, as well as as in the space we have to stay connected that way as as well across those seeming divides and so Continuing to do some of the things that we did in pandemic, where we had people at home make videos and then mm-hmm. we showed them. So have those people who are worshiping remotely, who may not be able to come back because of health or because they live far away right. or whatever, or they're on vacation. They figured out how to do it. They, you know, the technology is has become so widespread that we know how to, you know, video ourselves on the phone and send it to somebody. Yeah, and we just can't go back. We can't. We can't say, oh, I don't have to do that anymore. I think we go forward and we keep adding to the multiple ways that we can express um, the gospel message. You know, practically speaking, I'm thinking about, from my own uh, ministry context, sharing this with my senior pastor, we're mm-hmm. thinking about, you know, we have a, it's in a upper middle class, upper class context where many people travel over the summer, like, Having someone, even when they're traveling, share a video of, mm-hmm. I don't know, reading the call to worship or something, seems like a gr- that's a great idea to still yeah. keep people engaged using that yes. practice that we did over COVID um, and then make it more yeah. connectional. That's absolutely a great example. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we were in, in the Worship Design Studio, which is the the company that I have that produces uh, resources, educational and worship resources. We were making these suggestions about these very things yeah. before COVID. And I think probably very few people did it, right? But now, now we, you know, we've seen what it can do. And, uh, and so I, again, your, to your question about what did the pandemic do for us? Mm-hmm. I think the other thing that it, that post pandemic is doing for us, um, is that, we are now having to come up with more and more solutions or more and more methods of uh, worship, of communication, other than Sunday morning. Yeah. Right? So I'm starting to talk about rhythm-flexible options yep. um, because we can't just ignore, we can't put our heads in the sand and think that, you know, the people's habits and rhythms that changed mightily Yeah are actually going to just revert back to coming to, you know, and then already, like I said, that was a trend that was happening. But just because people are not coming to worship on Sunday morning doesn't mean that they have any fewer spiritual needs. So I I think that as ritual artists, which is what I call people, you mm-hmm. know, who who create content, yeah. uh, content creators, as yeah. we call it now in yeah. the digital yeah. world, um, content creators, we have to expand the notion of when spiritual formation through this content happens hmm. mm-hmm. and where it happens. Yeah. And I think that's highly creative. And I think we can take the fodder that we create for Sunday morning and we can create many different avenues right, right. through editing, through, right. you know, now in the worship design studio, I don't put out a series without a devotional journal that can be, you know, you can have a little, one of those little mini libraries outside your church where you put these devotionals in there for every series that any anybody who walks down the street could That's take. That's a good idea. Right? Yeah. Um, that we don't do a, a a series anymore without suggesting how you can take the liturgy itself and morph it into something that is a podcast. Or what we're doing now is we're taking our fully scripted series that are weekly worship and we're creating weekend retreats out of them. Ah, uh, yeah. Because there are some people for whom Sunday morning, you know, regular Sunday morning worship attendance is just not part of their routine right. anymore. Right. But they would come to a weekend retreat. Yeah. Right? And so 
just to like free ourselves from the this is the way we do it into how many different ways can we do it now this is it you don't have to do all the ways it's right. going to depend right. on your community so if you're a bedroom community and people spend a lot of time commuting in their cars a podcast is perfect yep shout out to podcasts right, <laughs> <laughs> right? shout out to podcasts but creating that out of your worship right. um uh if you are a community with lots of families right, and you've gotten out of the Sunday attendance thing, a, a lot of families has happened way yep. before pandemic. You know, there's Sunday morning soccer games. There's like yep. all this stuff. So sort of freeing ourselves from, from, oh, I'm so sad families aren't coming anymore. We'll figure out what they would come to. Right. You know, I, I was consulting with a church a few years ago. And we did a limited series, and I think limited series are awesome. You know, right. people often think, "Oh, we want to, we want to start a second service." Well, very few churches can support two oh, services, yeah. right? Yeah, but you can do a limited series. So yeah. I was consulting with this church. They did a limited series, a six week series. It was on a Friday night. Mm-hmm. They were a downtown church, so they did it close enough to the end of of um, work, mm-hmm. so people could come. Um, they had the youth did childcare so that yeah. not only the service was covered, right. but a couple of hours after the service, so parents could have a date night Whoa. and go to the restaurant. Right? Exactly. Sign me up. So it's just one example, but yeah. it's the way that we can accept <laughs> uh-huh. when you truly just accept. That things are different. Right. And then you release yourself from this is the way we've always done it. This is our timing. This is the way church happens. This is the way worship happens. You free yourself to to use your imagination in and dance that with your context. You know, who are your people? Who are you wanting to do this for? And then figure out how to do it in a way that actually naturally intersects with their lives. Yeah, the, what they really need, yeah. and don't think you have to start it and do it every week all year long. Mm-hmm. Right, right, and that way you can try it. So I'm an entrepreneur, right? right? It's just in my it's in my bones, and I teach spiritual entrepreneurship. And one of the things we keep we say is iterate, iterate, right. iterate. Right. So the the beauty of something limited is that you do it, you see how it went. If it if it didn't exactly meet the need like you thought it would. You iterate. You do something different next time. You learn from it, right? So it's it's like church leaders have to become serial entrepreneurs in some ways yeah. as we move into the future. Yeah. You know, what I appreciate about this is, you know, I think, like you said, the reality is that the habits and rhythms that families and people have established, like, it's going to be really tough in the short term to change those habits. Um but I, I also personally don't kind of like just being like, oh, throw up my hands. It is what it is. You know, right. we're not going to ever see church or people in church. So I, I really like that idea of like, well, what are ways we can connect with them? Right. Um, you know, I've I've heard that a, in evangelical churches, there's a lot of churches doing like a Thursday night worship service, mm-hmm. which I think mm-hmm. is equally interesting kind of the, to your Friday night approach is like, well, you know, generally – People may not have quite as much going on on a Sunday or, excuse me, a Thursday night versus a Sunday. Um, so, again, really interesting way. And then I, lo- I love what you said there about, like, not being like, oh, we got we to gotta do this for a year. I mean, that's not sustainable right. for, for most, <laughs> especially, if it's, if, especially if it doesn't, you know, doesn't land. Right. Then, then you have to kill it. Right. And that's the worst thing. Then you go, oh, we tried something different and, and it didn't work. Right. And so, you know, I mean – that that's just I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that yeah. in my consulting with churches. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um let's let's keep going here because uh, I'm loving what you're saying so far and there's more I want to get to here. Okay. Hear from you. Um so you have four things you recommend cultivating. Uh mm-hmm. so maybe for a good time, let me just run through these and you can respond to these how you want. But you talk about cultivating sure. a fluid sense of sanctuary, rhythm flexible options. Uh, community-facing casual opportunities in ritual artistry in all people. So I think I've kind of heard this and all you've you've talked right. already, but maybe dive it into what more if you want to there. Yeah, sure. Well, let me talk about a fluid sense of sanctuary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that one of the things we learned uh, in COVID is 
is how to invite people, no matter where they are, into a sense of sanctuary. Yeah. So our homes had to be a sense of sanctuary. Yeah. And, you know, we did think, we we started to learn some techniques for that because, you know, how do you make, and the article talks about this, how do you make the computer screen that you've been working on <laughs> for work right. all week now instantly Church. a worshipful space? Right. It takes some other stuff. You have to you have to manipulate the rest of your environment a little bit. Maybe um, you know, light a candle. Clean the desk. Clean, Clean the, desk. the desk. Right. Put the work out of sight. Um, you know, there's we had to sort of invite people to do things to demarcate uh work and ritual time. Uh or families who set out, you know, we were at the beginning of the pandemic making these suggestions about setting out a, a yoga mat or a or a blanket so that they would you know now we're we're going to be at church and mm. we're going to sit here and we line up all the stuffed animals to watch with us yeah, and we sure. you know turn on the electric candle or whatever but creating our own and that's partly what I mean, mean by ritual artistry in all people yeah. and that is to help people understand that they too have an innate sense of making sacred space I mean, we do that when we decorate our homes for Christmas and for Thanksgiving. We set a beautiful Thanksgiving table. And just, you know, saying out loud, that is an innate ability in you for making a space special. So we can do that then, of course, if we're continuing to be worshiping remotely, but also if we decide, Okay, one of our rhythm flexible options for folks is going to be dinner groups, and we're going to mm-hmm. have actually what we do for our Sunday morning worship. We're going to repackage it into yeah. shorter bits Love that it. you would do before Love dinner it. and after dinner. Right, right, and so you know, allowing people to become their own ritual artists in that more intimate context. Um, so that's what I mean about a fluid sense of sanctuary. But let's also talk about our church sanctuaries, yes. right? Because a lot of people are having less people in the sanctuary right. than they used to. And I think we have to get really real about that. Yeah. And I think it's time for us to really look at our spaces and say, what do we need to sacrifice in order to stay connected? Hmm. And having 30 people in a 300-seat sanctuary— right. And letting them sit wherever they want to, spread right. out all over the place, because that's the seat that they usually sit right. in. You know, we're so afraid to, you know, mess with that. And yet people actually had their everything about their worship messed with for a year and a half or so, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we're more flexible than we give people credit for. So how can we really get real and reconfigure our actual sanctuary spaces to yeah. accommodate the reality of what is going on now. So if there was ever a time to to look at flexible seating that you can take out some pews. What's that? <laughs> take out some pews is that take out some pews perhaps. Right. Or get movable pews. There are movable right. shorter section pews. Right. Those are great. Right. Um you can literally unbolt your pews sometimes if that's your situation mm-hmm. and make them into a horseshoe shape part, yeah. towards the front. You can leave those in the back if you want to, but then put up some sort of false back with, you know, I have, I teach people how to use just like make T poles and put fabric on it and yeah. make a false back so yeah. that it's a more intimate space. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's another thing that I mean by a fluid sense of sanctuary is that we've just got to get real about. How is our space um, helping us yeah. be a body yeah. or not? So that's that's part of it as well. And I talk in the article also about just being really um, out there with, like, don't hide the cameras. Mm-hmm. The cameras are a stand-in. They are the symbol for the people who are on the other side of that camera. Oh, interesting. Right? Interesting, Yeah. And and don't like be afraid to just walk up to that camera and talk right to the people at home. Don't worry that people in the space are going to feel left out. No, that's what connects them to those people. Hmm. That's that's it's just good, being right out there with it. That's a helpful the helpful perspective. Um, going back to the you know it's funny I'm thinking about the uh, you know playing around with space mm-hmm. is a pre COVID I was leading a new church start and we met in a. I think elementary school gymnasium. 
So as you mm. can imagine, there's quite a right. bit we had to kind of play with to try to yeah. try to create a sense of sacredness in that space. Um, I've also heard from I, I like to nerd out on all kinds of church podcasts that, mm-hmm. um, like amongst like church kind of remodel building firms, like um, shrinking. I th- if I remember correctly, shrinking right. the worship space and adding kind of fellowship space. Yeah. It's like the big trend. Yeah. Well, and there's so many fun ways to do that. I mean, once you free up some of that sanctuary space that's that that you're not filling up mm-hmm. and you create a more intimate gathering right. space, then you can do things like set up that the the rest of that sanctuary space to pack peanut butter sandwiches mm. for hungry kids, mm-hmm. you know, at as part of worship or at the end of worship, right. um, set up that set up a labyrinth right. in that place. Set up, you know, so that we and I love this imagery because the theology of that is just like right on. <laughs> Talk about worship and ethics, right? right? You you and and spiritual formation. You just connect that right in that same space, and you say this is all part of how we worship. Um, all part of our ritualizing. So there's some really great, um, some really great things to do when you actually shrink to the appropriate size. You know, you shrink your seating to the appropriate size. Yeah. You can still be in that beautiful sanctuary, right. but you just you create these, and there's wonderful ways to do that where you don't feel like you're a tiny little group in a great big sanctuary. Right. Like you said, we've been doing this in gymnasiums for a long time. We've been figuring out how to use poles and pipe and drape right. and all that kind right. of stuff. Look at you. Sound like an evangelical there with your pipe and drape. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, that's a fun conversation. So um, I want to ask you, you write that the human need to find meaning and mark sacred space in or excuse me, mark sacred place and time, however, is indelible. Um, so I, I read this uh, recently from Andrew Root. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He wrote, churches don't need a building. God is never stuck in a building. But churches, but church communities, because they are the body of Christ, can't be without a space. Congregations inhabit space as a sure sign of life. So we're certainly in a, in a, in a moment where for financial reasons, much of the reasons we kind of talked about earlier where churches have spaces that are too big for them, they're selling their buildings. And I certainly understand the, the practical and financial reasons for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but having met in a, a school gymnasium, for instance, like mm-hmm. at least at least in my context in the Denver metro area, it seemed like, like the community really took you seriously once you got a physical place and space. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Do you can you talk through kind of what you think hmm. that's about and whether you kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, I don't know that uh I'm not sure that's uh, I haven't thought about it a lot so okay. um that particular thing but off the top of my head I would say I'm not sure I agree with the fact that that um the the buildings at this point especially post pandemic that People are taking you more seriously if you're inside a church building. Mm-hmm. That may be true for some people, but I think that as we move into the future, that's going to be less and less true. Hmm. Um, I don't know. You know, again, I haven't thought about it a lot. So, yeah. you know, that's this is just me like uh, <laughs> firing off. But, you know, it's um, – I think also part of what we can do is not assume that a school gymnasium is like where we're going to be. Mm-hmm. And we can be very intentional about the fact that we're not in a building. So I also think that we think we have to find a space to be right. every week. Now, what if that's not true? What if we decide that we're going to let our building go? Mm-hmm. And instead of thinking we well, need to find another space, we say, okay, during, during – um, Pentecost, we're going to do this Emerge series that has this butterfly as its metaphor, and we're going to meet, uh, we're going to do outdoor worship, or we're going to rent the butterfly garden at the at the botanical gardens right. during this series. And then, um, and then maybe during uh, Advent Christmas, where we're doing a series, one of the series I did was called The Inn, Housing the Holy. Mm-hmm. What if we were having dinner church in smaller groups, but we came together twice during Advent to serve meals at the homeless shelter yeah. or whatever? You know, you see, I'm going thematically here, right? right? right. 
So I'm getting imaginative so that the spaces that we are are not just um, uh, utilitarian. We got to have a space to be. We need chairs. We need a you know space. But they become theologically integrated with what we're doing. I'm just brainstorming here, which is what I do for a living. So. <laughs> but, you know, I think this is yet yeah, another yeah. way that we are, um, we're keep putting ourselves in a box. And that quote from the article that you said, the human need to find meaning and mark sacred time and place is indelible. So this is, this is also me saying, we mm-hmm. can minister to those who are never going to become members of the church or even call themselves Christian, really, or um, or any on that scale. And we can do things that help people um, find deeper meaning. So this is that that part of the article that's called Community-Facing Casual Opportunities. So that's one of those four things. Mm-hmm. And so public art is one of those things. Um, you know, whatever the theme is of your service, you might have an installation outside that's interactive in some way. Hmm. Um, you know, we've been suggesting this for a long time, and that is how do you take the symbols inside the church, put them outside the church, and offer people a way to just, you know, a provocative question? You know, like uh, this, mm-hmm. the Advent series that um, that I did called Angels Among Us. I did that really to get people to talk about how are we caring for each other? How are we watching over each other? Mm-hmm. Now, that's a human question. That's not that's not just a Christian question, right? And so, and angels are like, have captured popular imagination and stuff. Right. So, put a, put a mural of angel wings outside your church, selfie opportunity, you know, um, and, and ask that mm-hmm. provo- provocative question on a, just on a, on a, board there, you know, who watches over you in your life and how can you be a carer of others and a, and and watch over others? And it, all it has to be is a question. We we give yeah. too many answers. Yep. Asking questions right. is the way to in, engage people in the deeper questions of life. 100%. So that's just one yeah. example. There's many, many other ways to do it. So getting getting our metaphors, getting our symbols out of the inside and putting them on the outside so that it's community-facing, casual opportunities for meaning-making. And that's part of what ritual artistry is. That's what we can do as worship artists. I mean, that's a good, that's a good metaphor for faith and church in general. Like, get it out of right. the building and share it with the community, <laughs> right. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, this is a great conversation. Um, let's make sure, assuming, uh, I'm, I'm assuming this is okay, Marcia, can we make sure we share a link in the show notes for folks yeah. to check out the article? Absolutely. Great. Yes. Um, the, it is published in a journal called Liturgy. And so you can, of course, um, we'll, we'll give you the link to go get it uh, as well. Um, but you, they have given me permission to, to you know, hand out a, a a sort of different version of it. So so that's there. We'll have that link. Uh, I think you can also put links to Worship Design Studio. And, you know, if you want to, if you want to keep talking about this, um, maybe I'll put in the the link to my webinar about metamorphosis that, you know, if you want to go deeper, that's another way. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's take a quick break and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Dr. Marsha McPhee and uh Marsha, really appreciate the conversation. Appreciate these insights you're giving here. So these closing questions, I always tell folks you can take these as seriously or not as you'd like to. Uh, But if you're Pope for a day, what might like you what might you like to do with that day? Well, if that's if I'm assuming that means that I'm Roman Catholic, then ordination for women, hands down, first thing I would do, like in the first two minutes. Yeah. First minute. Right, because that's the gateway drug to inclusion of all people <laughs> for the Catholic Church. So that's what I would do if I was Pope for the day. Well, have you thought about the other 23 hours and 58 minutes then? Oh. <laughs> well, I, mean, I you think you said that, that would only uh, take two minutes. So. Right, right. Yeah. Um, well, then there's a whole lot of other work to transform attitudes around that. But um, – <clears throat> You know, I'll just extend the metaphor yeah. of Pope to any sort of yeah. religious leaders, right? right? Um, I, I think that, gosh, it's 
Oh, Lord, you're going to make me talk about how polarized we are, aren't you? Because mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's where I go. And, you know, the role of religious leaders right now is, I think, so important to be public theologians mm-hmm. and to offer especially a, a view of religion that is more um, freeing for more people. Mm-hmm. However you um, interpret that. Yeah. But to free us from those things that are constricting us, it's a very scary time. Yeah, And um, so comfort is important, ritualizing is important, meaning-making is important, but also being prophetic is important in this moment. And, uh, you know, soon, I think, it, it, way too soon, the thing that's going to unite all of humanity is that we're going to lose our home. Mm. And so uh, we're just kicking and screaming on the way to actually getting that we have to work together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's really a, a, a hard time. And so, you know, the if you extend the Pope metaphor to religious leaders or any any sort of leaders with a conscience, let's just mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. Um, and those who want to see the survival of the planet, the survival of humanity, the survival of love and justice and peace and well-being for all people, um, it's a moment that is very, very difficult to navigate. And we can't be silent. We have to – We have to. so we can't be silent. We have to speak out. But we also have to stay curious, engage our imagination, keep creating because that is the – I mean, a theology of creativity is the only way – that we will move forward yeah. in ways that uh, that create a better world. Well, I appreciate that. Most folks don't quite get the the metaphorical nature behind that question, so I appreciate you engaging that. What they want to wear the robes I mean, and like the hat and everything. <laughs> I mean, I know it sounds quite literal, but I am curious from a metaf- you know how yeah, do you want sure. to speak that. Um, a theologian or historical Christian figure you'd want to meet or bring back to life. Oh. St. Bridget. St. Bridget, really? Yes, absolutely. Um, Oh, she was – so I take a group of women on a pilgrimage to Ireland every year, and uh, I call it creator, badass, and saint. And it looks at women, um, you know, uh, types of of women figures, both mythological and historical, in Ireland, uh, because it's so wonderful. And St. Bridget uh, is an amalgamation, actually – of the goddess Bridget hmm. from the old religion, uh, and lots of protectors of humanity along the way in history. And it's all, she's an amalgamation. Plus, she prays like this, I would like to give, dear God, I would like to give the people a lake of beer. <laughs> I mean, what's not to like about this woman? Uh, what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Ooh, um, I think we'll be lucky if we remember. Hmm. Hmm. I think that uh, as we, you know, I'm a lover of history, and I think sometimes I get really depressed about it because I see the same things coming up, right? It's cyclical. Yeah. And and what I hope is that in this day and age, because we do have a longer memory, we do have more recorded history, that we will learn by seeing those cycles and getting – that humanity keeps making the same s- stuff happen over and over again. So I will just answer your question with, if we're lucky, we will remember. That's an intriguing answer. Um, what are your hopes for the future of Christianity? Uh, I think that my hope is that we will keep our imaginations alive. Uh, and and that really is the root of hope, isn't it? If we can imagine mm. something different than what we have right now, then hope stays alive. And so uh, we need to keep our hope alive. And that requires continuing imagination. So it may, yeah. you know, I mean, that's yeah, a very process so theology answer, but <laughs> that's me. <laughs> hey, I think it works regardless of one's perspective. Um, yeah, yeah. Share if you would, you know, the websites, how people can connect with you, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I'm on retreat right now. I do that every year. So, every year 
1st of May. Um, I've been doing this for a long time, and uh, it's a small group. It's fabulous. It's such a wonderful retreat. So uh, if you're, you know, sign up for my newsletter so you know when that's happening. I also do a worship planning retreat every year. It's going to be August this year. So if you're listening to this after we've done it, 13th through 16th, we still re-record it. And you can do long-range planning with me guiding you, I do a little bit of the history and theology and some ideas for every liturgical season. So you listen mm-hmm. to like Advent Christmas and then you stop it and then you and then you work on Advent Christmas. So you do long range planning. So that's a live stream retreat only this year, but of course we'll have the recording. So it uh, doesn't matter if you're listening to this after August. Um and and the other thing is, you know, I I am called to resource churches. So Worship Design Studio, check it out. Um, I come out with fully scripted series that are fully adaptable for your context, but music suggestions, liturgy written out, leader parts uh, written out, mm-hmm. um, and then you adapt it for your context. And we highly recommend the adaptation. So it's not like, oh, I wrote this. You have to do it this way. But it does sort of help pastors, especially pastors who are wearing all the hats, right. um, get a jump start on a provocative theme connected to a small group resource, et cetera. So those are all, I really am so passionate about helping pastors do their jobs in a way that brings more ease and more creativity hmm. to them and less stress. So that's really my call to ministry. Well, this has been great. I really appreciate the time, the conversation. Um, one of my rituals, Marcia, is to leave folks with a word of peace. So may God's peace mm. be with you. Thank you so much, and also with you. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. Do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.